Hello, and welcome to another episode of Here's a Thought, the blogcast for people who overthink. I'm Jan M. Flynn, a fiction writer and essayist, and I do a lot of overthinking myself. So I understand. When you've had enough of listening to the incessant voices in your own head, I invite you to take a break and join me by listening to the ones in mine. This week's episode, Mother's Day, a somewhat awkward holiday. So we've made it past the second Sunday in May, which, if you're in the U.S., means we've just passed another Mother's Day. Now, all of us have or have had mothers or we wouldn't be here, and a lot of us are or have been mothers ourselves. So why does Mother's Day sometimes feel so fraught or forced or just plain weird? Tell me, it's not just me. So I'm a mother, and don't get me wrong, I love the flowers and the cards. What mother doesn't enjoy being treated by her offspring? Mothering is hard work, with high stakes, brutal hours, a constantly shifting job description, and an uncertain retirement plan. If you're lucky, and nothing catastrophic interrupts the carrying out of your duties, eventually you work yourself out of a job. But the emotional investment never lessens. Motherhood leads otherwise rational women to believe in the prophylactic power of worry long after their children are perfectly capable of taking care of themselves. So, yes, it's nice to be recognized. I've gone through multiple bouts of downsizing, approaching what the Swedes call death cleaning. But I've kept the tributes, the tchotchkes, and artwork that my sons made for me at school or scouts or camp. Like a lot of moms, that stuff means more to me than fancy furniture or costly bibelots. And I know perfectly well that those creations were prompted by some adult, a teacher or a den mother or a camp counselor, who initiated the mom-pleasing project. Still, those trinkets and ceramic sculptures feel organic and genuine. I'll part from them when I shuffle off my mortal coil and not before. Mother's Day, though, feels a little different. Performative. Commercialized even mildly forced. Does saying so make me a bad person? Far worse. Does it make me a bad mother? According to History.com, I'm not alone in having mixed feelings about Mother's Day. Anna Jarvis was the woman who was credited with establishing Mother's Day in the United States, and she conceived of it as a day when you would take your mother to church and wear a white carnation and visit with her. But once it became a nationally recognized holiday in 1914, the greeting card companies, the florists, and the candy merchants were quick to capitalize on it. Jarvis became so disgusted with the commercialization of the occasion that she launched a campaign against it and tried to get it removed from the American calendar. Needless to say, trying to cancel Mother's Day didn't get her very far. So, like Valentine's Day, Mother's Day is a have-to. I mean, how low or callous do you have to be to ignore a call to make a fuss over your sweetheart or dear old mom, even if we all know there's a corporate conspiracy behind it? There's really no fighting it without coming across as a total jerk. And like Valentine's Day, so rife with potential heartbreak or embarrassment for everyone from kindergartners to adults, Mother's Day puts us in an emotional headlock. All those beautifully lit, heart-tugging commercials that show three or four generations of smiling women blissfully celebrating with flowers and candy, or jewelry, or new cars, or whatever the advertiser would like you to believe is necessary to prove your love, well, they can tug your heart in a painful direction. If mom is no longer alive, or if your relationship with her was complicated or disastrous, 
or if you're a mother with a child whose life trajectory has gone severely off course or even ended prematurely. In that sense, Mother's Day is like Christmas. It's lovely if you're in a position to genuinely celebrate it, but it's intrusive and impossible to avoid if you're not. And for moms, even in the best of circumstances, Mother's Day has a strange life cycle. In the early days of motherhood, any special treatment on mom's big day is largely up to dad, who, as a young father, is trying to find his feet in his new role and is approximately as overwhelmed and bewildered as she is. Then once the kids are out of toddlerhood and slightly more self-sustaining, they may, if properly coached, take on producing some of the festivities themselves, hence the well-worn trope, wherein mom adoringly accepts an inedible breakfast in bed. Now, all of this begins with the default notion of a traditional nuclear family, a cisgender female mommy married to a cisgender male daddy and the fruit of their, and only their, loins. But fewer and fewer families nowadays align with that template. But, following the cultural assumption, eventually the fledglings leave the nest. Then there's a number of years while their adult plumage settles in. During this period, mom faces a dilemma— Does she wait to see if her semi-adult children will get their act together to remember Mother's Day on their own? Or does she deputize Dad or somebody else to remind them? In which case, do the last-minute deliveries from Flowers R Us really mean all that much? Meanwhile, Mom's own mother is getting older and eventually passing on, adding further heft to the emotional freight. It's a bittersweet passage at best. With luck, though, A certain equilibrium is reached once the kids fully settle into adulting and Mother's Day assumes its rightful place as an occasion of affection, appreciation, and respect without too much fuss. Until the adult children start having babies and then the cycle begins all over again. Going back to carnations, my mixed feelings probably have their root in the stories my mother Helen told me about what Mother's Day was like for her growing up. Her own mother died in 1921, When mom was eight years old, the cause of death was never explained to her. When it became clear that my grandmother was not going to recover from whatever it was, Helen and her older sister were taken to the hospital to bid their mother goodbye. My mother said she remembered her ailing mother whispering from her deathbed, Be a good girl, and don't fight with the neighbor girl. And then little Helen and her sister were led away. Beulah Beam Dayton, my grandmother, died a few days later at the age of 36. Four months after that, my grandfather married the woman who had been his late wife's nurse during her illness. In Iowa, in the early 1920s, such things weren't particularly unusual. But Helen's stepmother, while hardworking and competent, was sensitive. She didn't take well to reminders that she wasn't the first wife. The girls learned not to mention their dead mother. At the small-town Methodist church they attended, Mother's Day worked like this. You wore a red carnation if your mother was alive, and a white one if she wasn't. This placed eight-year-old Helen, the little girl who would be my mother, in an inescapable snare. If she did what she desperately wanted to do and wore the white carnation, she risked the silent but abiding resentment of the woman upon whom she depended for care. When she could wear the red carnation pleasing her stepmother and keeping the peace, but at the cost of abandoning her late mother's memory and driving the pain of her unexpressed grief even deeper. Not that Mom ever put it to me that way. She said, I wore the red one, but I felt awful bad about it. Apparently, 
wearing two carnations, one of each color, was out of the question. There was a time when Mother's Day had a different and, in a sense, larger purpose than simply having brunch and celebrating. In 1868, shortly after the Civil War, Anne Reeves Jarvis, who was the mother of Anna Jarvis mentioned above, organized Mother's Friendship Day. The event was to bring together the mothers of former Union and Confederate soldiers with the intention of healing the nation's psychic wounds and bridging its divisions. Two years after that, abolitionist and suffragette Julia Ward Howe called on mothers to unite in the cause of promoting world peace so that no more mothers would have to see their sons sent off to war. She wrote an impassioned plea, the Mother's Day Proclamation, which reads in part, Arise, all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears. Say firmly, we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. Our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We women of one country will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. In 1873, Howe campaigned for a Mother's Day Peace Day to be celebrated annually on June 2nd. Regrettably, it seems to have never taken hold. Believe me, I don't mean to be ungracious. I wholeheartedly enjoy and appreciate any treats and overtures that come my way on Mother's Day, or any time for that matter. I just don't want my kids to feel like it's a thing they have to do. On the other hand, I'd be kind of bummed if they didn't. Such is the murky power of a corporate colonized holiday. But I'm all in for June 2nd. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Here's a Thought with Jan M. Flynn. If you haven't yet, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you leave a positive review or a star rating wherever you can, that really helps the show build an audience. If you want to know more about me or read more by me, please visit me at janmflynn.net. And until next time, may all your thoughts be good ones.